We're, we're going to continue in, the, in the, uh, the book of Matthew. We've been going verse by verse and line by line and all that good stuff. And we come here toward the end of Matthew 7. And this morning we're going to take verses 21 through 23. Are you ready? Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do mighty works in your name? And then will I declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Uh, this probably isn't uh, a passage that you guys have on your refrigerators uh, at home so that you can look at it every day, right? This probably isn't anybody's uh, life verse um, that they've just determined uh, to hold on to because it's so encouraging. In fact, we laugh, but that's kind of the silly part about it is like um, um, we're, we are to uh, memorize scripture and hide the word of God uh, in our hearts is a good thing, right? And so I've determined and tried all of my life at different times to memorize uh, scripture, and, and, and I have a, such a hard time doing it, but not when there's a verse like this. I can remember these verses all day long. You know what I mean? Unfortunately. Um, this is um, quite possibly one of the scariest, most terrifying texts that we have in our Bibles. And Jesus said it. Um, and so before we jump into this, I just want to re remind us of something, okay? Um, Bible reading 101, like, like if we stick to extracting the facts from the, the text, we will gain facts. We will, we will gain good theology. We will gain sound theology. That's rule number one. Number two, the, the first most helpful piece of information for us to have in mind when we look at a text like this is to establish the context, all right? This is helpful. I don't know how many of you grew up in this church, but I, I, uh, I went for a while to one of these churches that used to teach you regularly from the pulpit. There are three rules to scripture interpretation, context, context, and context, right? Like, like context matters. Um, and, and so we, we need to understand that which surrounds and that which precedes the text that is in question. And this helps us greatly here because Jesus has actually been um, in a pattern of contrasting two groups of people, two types of people in his teachings leading up to this, right? So we've had false prophets and real ones. We've had wolves and we've had sheep. We've had bad trees and good trees, and then we've had those who enter by a wide gate and um, those who enter by a narrow one, right? Uh, so so we, we, need to, we need to keep in mind, especially uh, last week we had Paul Brown here, which was awesome, but we're actually, there's seven days going on between when you guys hear each teaching, each line through this, okay? It's disconnected. Right, So now we're going on two weeks since you guys have, have been in this sermon. Right, Think about this. When Jesus preached this, we're talking seconds would have gone by. Minutes would have gone by in all that he's been saying. So it's right there. It's, it's fully connected and in place. But with us, it's, it's, it's easy to disconnect it all. 
because there's so much time that's going by between us paying attention to these things. And so I just want to remind us of that. It is imperative for us to keep this in mind, context and what preceded, because it can be the difference between us thinking that Jesus is presenting something new and knowing that Jesus is actually just being consistent, building on that which he's already established. So in, in this case... It's even more important because it's the difference between us thinking, oh, like, this is the end result for false prophets and false teachers and bad trees and wide gate populace, or thinking, oh, no Christian is safe. No Christian is safe. Like, am I safe? Like, like is the floor going to fall out from under me at any time, according to what Jesus is saying here, right? Right? Um, almost, like, almost like God's sitting up there with a flower, right? I love him, I love him not. I love him, I'm like picking petals. How many of you have ever thought that when you read things like this? Like, it's easy to get that impression if we're not careful. We, we may be prone to think, if we isolate this text, that we have no security, no security at all whatsoever in salvation. Okay? That, that our certainty in salvation is unknowable. And biblically, that's just not true, people. It's not true. This is not our father to keep his kids doubting and fearing in Christ. It's not what our Bibles teach us. Context assures us that this is not the case here. So what we're going to do is we're going to make three observations from the text, um, like we usually do, to gain a proper understanding of this text, to hopefully clarify that which is terrifying. All right? Number one, the first thing that we see here is that the password into heaven, the password is not just something we say, it's something we do. It's not just something we say, it's something we do. The difference between our acceptance by Jesus or rejection into the Father's kingdom depends not on what we say alone, but on what we do. And I know some of you right now are going like, wait a minute, Pastor, like that's the exact opposite of like everything that you guys shove down our throats every time you preach, right? We're constantly talking about, you know, uh, uh, grace through faith alone in Christ alone plus nothing. There's nothing that you can do to add to perfection. And that's true. And yet, verse 21, Jesus says, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. Again, the password is not just something we say, it's something we do. That is, in the way that Jesus means it here. All right? So this is what we need to discover. However, the first thing that we notice here is that it's possible for someone to see Jesus as Lord, profess Jesus as Lord, not have a problem with Jesus as Lord, and not have Jesus as their Lord. That's in this verse. That sounds hardcore, I know. It kind of ruins some stuff. But, but, but this is what he's saying. And, and don't look around right now like, who, who is it? You know what I mean? That'd be awkward. That'd be weird. I knew, I knew it was that guy. You know what I mean? But, but yes, like, like even in this room right now, don't look around, this is probably true. This is probably true in here. Um, there's a concept in the Bible that's been 
I don't know, kind of label titled um, to make it easier. Um, it's called the invisible church and the visible church. Have you heard it referred to that way? So the reality that we all live in right now in time, history, where we're at, outside of you know, where God is, um, what we are participating in, this thing that we call church and the gathering, this is, when you look around this room, what we would call the visible church. It's, it's what we can see, the makeup of what we can see. We look at it and we go, okay, this is the church, right? But the reality to God outside of time, knowing all things, seeing all things, doing all things, bringing all things about, um, the reality is that the, the true church to you and I is invisible. You and I can't really see it. We can't really know who's in and who's not in, Okay? So, like, there, there's a greater truth, there's a greater reality, there's a greater level. That's the, the visible church is what we know and trust as human beings, and the in, in, invisible church is what is actually real, what actually is. We see Jesus um, talk about these type things, like when we get to Matthew chapter 13, we get to parables, you're going to start to hear some of this, right? There's a parable of a wheat field. He says, a man had a field, and he planted good seed in that field. And when his men were sleeping, another dude came, a bad dude, and he planted seed in that field. And when everything popped through the ground, they were not all just wheat that the good man had planted, but there were weeds also with the wheat. And his men came to, his workers came to him and said, did we not just plant good seed in this field? And he's like, yeah, we did, but a dude came and planted something else. And they're like, well, let's just go pull the weeds, right? And uh, he's like, no. No, we need to wait and let them grow up next to each other until the harvest. Until the harvest. That's the reality of what we have going. But we don't have, we don't have little sticky notes on people when they come in that says, weed, wheat, weed, wheat. Like, it'd be, it'd be helpful, uh, but, but that's, not how, that's not how God has chose to do it. That's outside our pay grade. We, we, we can't walk around doing that, issuing you a sticky note, Right? This is the, the difference between the, the visible church and the invisible church. And, and really, this is what Jesus has been informing us of through this section of the Sermon on the Mount. Two trees, two fruits, two gates, two sheep, resulting in two different destinations. Okay, this is, this is what we're talking about. The current reality of the visible, invisible church is, is really made, really um, known by Jesus in Matthew 13, like we talked about, okay? Um, it could be easy for a weed to think, hey, I'm good, I'm in a wheat field, right? I'm good, I'm in a wheat field. But they're not good because they're still just a weed, Right? A weed doesn't turn into wheat just because it finds itself in a wheat field. It just means it's in a mixed field. There's no, listen to this, there's no validity in salvation through association. This is kind of what you were talking about, Valerie, with your daughter. This is what's so encouraging about where your daughter's at right now, right? No one's telling her she has to do it. She's doing it right now, right? There is no validity in salvation through association, just look at Israel. Just look at Romans chapter 11 and what Paul says about Israel there. Not all who are Israel are Israel, right? If you, if you go back and you study your Bible carefully and you watch the threads from Genesis through, there's a difference between the offspring of Abraham and the seed 
of Abraham. One deals with just the genealogy, the physical makeup from the bloodline that came from Abraham, and the other is according to the promise. The promise. Those are two different things. So we, we, we see this to be true with Israel. Um, G.K. Chesterton said this, just going to church doesn't make you a Christian any more than standing in your garage makes you a car. That's pretty rad. It is funny. It's a ridiculous notion, isn't it? Right? We, we can say many right things simply because we've been trained to, we know how to, and it means nothing. Nothing at the end of the day. At the end of the day, it is not just what we say. It is what we do that matters. Which brings us to the doing part of this verse. In which some will say, I knew it. I knew he cared about my performance. Right? Like I, like I knew that all my hard work would pay off and not go unseen by him. I knew that he would be impressed by my efforts and my merits and my contribution to the kingdom, right? All I really have to do, all he really wants is for me to step up my game when I follow Jesus, right? Just like I always thought. And then he'll accept me. Isn't it just like us to think like that, right? When we see the word do, we think earn, merit, deserve. After all, Jesus couldn't be any more clear with the language here, right? Like, it's a pretty clear statement he's making. It's hard to foul up what he's saying here. The one who does the will of God, active, is the one who's getting into heaven. And I would say, yes, it is very easy to foul up what Jesus is saying here. Because our sinful, prideful, self-meriting, self-earning, pay it off, impress God, humanistic minds will hear, God wants me to perform. That's what God wants. God wants me to try harder and do better. God wants me to create and produce a righteousness from within me. Because of this, it matters, people. Because we think that this way, it matters infinitely that we properly define the kind of doing that Jesus says we have to do here. Right? It matters infinitely that we find the answer to the question concerning what he means here when he says those who do the will of the Father. Because it's the difference between acceptance or rejection. So what I want you to do is I want you to turn with me to John chapter 6 where we can find the answer. You guys all know John 6. This is a a popular Sunday school story, if any of you grew up in Sunday school, right? We had the feeding of the 5,000. So Jesus has basically come out of the closet, right, as, as far as who he is. And he's teaching openly now, and he's got like crowds, man. The religious leaders are tripping out uh, because he's got crowds. Like people are sitting up and taking notice and they're paying attention. And so they find themselves out in the wilderness on this hillside, 5,000 people there, and the text says that it's the Passover, which means there, there's a meal that needs to happen. Like the, these people are going to have to eat together and they don't have anything, especially for 5,000. So Jesus like gathers up his disciples and, and, he, and, he, and he sets them out and he goes, all right, how much money do you guys have? Because like we're going to have to put it together and one of you are going to have to get to like the closest Circle K and grab some food, like whatever. Like we're going to have to take care of this. And they're all like, this, like we don't have enough money. 
right? Like, we don't have enough money to, to feed these numbers, and Jesus is like, you're right, I know. So, like, there's this little, you know, Timmy over here. Tell, tell Timmy to come over here, right? And, and he takes his Lunchable, his, you know, his lunch pail, and multiplies it. You guys know the rest of the story, right? Feeds all of them. So this goes down. Everyone's hungry. Everyone sleeps with a full stomach that night. Jesus, however, goes down, gets into the boat, goes across the, the, the sea to the other side. These guys get up in the morning. They realize Jesus' boat's gone, and Jesus is gone. They're like, oh, no, we've got to find him. We've got to find him. So they get in a boat, and they go across the other side, and they find him. And then in, in verse 25 of chapter 6, it says this. When they found him on the other side of the sea, they said to him, Rabbi, when did you come here? And Jesus answered them, truly, truly, I say to you, you're seeking me not because you saw signs, but because you ate your fill of the loaves. Do not work for the food that perishes, but for the food that endures to eternal life, which the Son of Man will give to you. For on him God the Father has set his seal. Here it is. Then they said to him, what must we do? Here's the question. To be doing the works of God or to be doing the will of God. What does God want? What must we do? Answer, this is the work of God. That you believe in him whom God has sent. This is the doing. This is what God wants you and I to do. Is to believe in what Jesus has done. This is the doing. The work of God that, that he wants from us, the work he wants from us is belief in his son. This is what it is and means to do the will of the Father. And it is in this that we find the difference between our acceptance or our rejection into the kingdom. It's based on what we do with Jesus. It's based on what we do with him. So number one, the password is not just what we say. It is, it is in fact, what we do. And that is to believe in Christ. It is to believe in Jesus, which is further clarified in our next verse. Number two, observation number two, those whom Jesus will send away are those who depend on what they've done, not what Jesus has done. Y'all guys see that there? Right? Those whom Jesus will send away are those who depend upon what they've done, not what he's done. In, in other words, the, the problem is what kind of doing they're doing. That's the whole problem here. Right? The, the problem is that they're relying on their doing rather than trusting in his doing. Verse 22, on that day many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? You see what they're doing here? Right? These guys are grandstanding. Like, like they're self-promoting, they're, they're candidating their own resumes as to why they should be allowed in. All right? They're, they're building a case for acceptance based upon their performance. And this is where it's all going to go bad for a lot of people that day, guys. This is where it's going to go all bad, is this kind of thinking, this kind of belief that you can somehow appease God on your own. It's going to go bad for a lot of people. And I want you to hear this. Know this. Hell is for good people. 
Hell is for good people. It's not just for uh, people that worship Satan, whose name is Anton LaVey, you know. It's not just for people that openly give God a finger in this life or make those stupid comments that we hear, like, I don't even want to go to heaven. I want to go to hell. That's where all my friends are going to be at. Like, that's where the raging party is going to be. Like, stupid thing. It's not just for those people. Hell is going to be populated heavily with good people. With good people who lived good lives and did good things. And that will be their downfall. That's the stumbling block right there. I mean, these guys seem like pretty good people. They were doing some pretty neat things. Consider what's happening here. What Jesus is giving us here with these guys is the most basically kind of like supreme courtroom setting before the most supreme judge in the most crucial trial imaginable to put forth the best argument that can be made for why God should let them into his eternal kingdom, right, as opposed to sending them into eternal fire, and this is their best defense. This this is their closing arguments. That's what we're seeing here in this verse. These are their closing arguments, right? I did, I did, I did, I did, and, and by the way, I did it for you, right? I mean, I, I mean, come on, Jesus, based on everything I've done for you, you've got to let me in. Not if our best are as filthy rags, he doesn't. You know what I'm saying? Like, not to get crazy, but it's in our Bibles, When Isaiah says that our righteousness is as filthy rags, he's not talking about a a rag that you use when when you work on your engine, right? Or like something that has some dirt or mud on it. He's talking about menstrual cloths, used ones. This is how good our best works are, those. And to think that, that we would grab hold of that and hold it up high and proud and say, check this out. Aren't you proud of me? That's what it looks like. That's what our best works look like. I said this quote a few weeks ago. I love it. God looked down and saw our best works, and then he died. Then he went to the cross. That's how good they were. Not good enough. They're not good enough. And we need to know this. And that's why these people are like being rejected right now. That's why like Jesus ain't having it. There will not be, consider this, there will not be one person in heaven who has a tale of self to tell. Not one. Now, you can have a problem right now, right now where you sit with what's known as Calvinism, right, or or, or with the biblical idea of election, or predestination, or, or God's choosing of us unto salvation, but in the end, no one who populates heaven will. Everybody will, will know that it is all true. That it is all God, front to back, that anybody is present in heaven. In fact, we will all insist that that is true when we get there. D.L. Moody said, I'm glad we're saved by grace and not by good works because I don't want to sit in heaven and listen to everybody brag for eternity on how they got there. <laughs> it's pretty good. 
Moody. I mean, this quote ain't no joke, right? I mean, we laugh, but like, like heaven ain't going to be about you. It's going to be about him. Like in every way, on every level, as far as it can go. And we're finally, fully going to know it. And we're going to celebrate it. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. Which, which part, the grace or the faith? Yes. <laughs> yes. Right? The, like the, the grace that he's imparted to us is the faith. Like the, that's how he's had grace on us is that he's, he's installed faith into us. He's granted us faith. This is not of your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast. So that no one may boast. So that no one will go look at me. Remember that time back there? Like, how rad was that when I did that? <laughs> none, none of it. None of it's going to be going on, even though that's what these dudes did. I mean, look at the list of these guys, right? Have you guys noticed, like, what they brought up? Like, this is a pretty impressive list of activities that these dudes were pulling off. You know what I'm saying? Like, like this, is, this is impressive. And Jesus is just simply unimpressed. He's not impressed. These guys are doing the miraculous, the supernatural, right? It says here, mighty works. So, so like, they're not pulling out your run-of-the-mill, like, minor league stuff, like, like praying. I was pretty good at praying. You know, I memorized some scripture. You know what I mean? Like I, I tithed regularly. I attended church regularly. I didn't beat my kids. Like, no. These aren't the things that like they're bringing up. Like, like in, in their minds and to most people, like these are the coup de gras of proof. Right? The things that nobody can question. Things that in their minds, people or God cannot ignore. Things that to them proved without a shadow of a doubt whose side they were on. And what kind of an impression did it leave on Jesus? None. Unimpressed. Jesus wasn't like, oh, you're making this really hard for me right now. Like, it's, it's, tempting, it's tempting to go ahead and let you on through. You know? Like, like, he doesn't do that. No, he's simply unimpressed. He's not interested. He's not persuaded. He's not persuaded. Remember, guys, Satan knows how to play the God game. He always has. Cover to cover, we see Mr. Counterfeit, right? Like Exodus chapter 7. We all know that story. Moses and Aaron, God brings them aside. I'm going to give you the staff. You're going to take it in. You're going to throw it down, Aaron, and it's going to turn into a snake, right? You're going to plead your case of who you belong to before Pharaoh, and they go in, and sure enough, they throw that thing down, and it turns into a snake, and Pharaoh just jumped back, and he's like, you're right, man. You guys can go. No. He's like, oh, I can do that. Calls in his dudes. They throw down their staff, a snake. Like, we just see this all over the Bible. Like, like Satan knows how to play the God game, even with the supernatural. The bottom line is this. Doing crazy things doesn't make Jesus crazy for you. Okay? A lot of, a lot of churches need to hear this right now. Doing crazy things doesn't make you crazy for Jesus, right, in, in the way that matters. It just means that you've participated in something crazy. That's all it means, okay? Having said all that, 
I do believe that it is in this verse, this verse right here, that the terror is injected into the Christian when we read it. It's in this one. Um, I think this is the verse that we can all look at and go, like, like who's safe? Like, am I safe? Are, are you safe? Can, can I be safe? Is it possible to be safe? Right? And here's why. It really seems like these guys wanted in. Like when we think of a lot of false prophets and stuff like that in Jesus' teaching, like these guys are deceivers and they know it. Don't get that impression from his example here. It seems like these guys want in. That's why this is terrifying. These guys thought on some level that they were, that they were his. They on some level wanted to be his, right? They call him Lord. In fact, the double emphatic is used. Not just Lord. 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 You know what that means? The double emphatic is certainty. Like there's not a question in, in my mind who I think you are. That's what that is. They really truly believed they were on God's team doing God's work, just like the Pharisees, by the way. You want to stick that in your pocket, right? But they're wrong. They're, they're wrong. So this is what makes this particular text scarier than most. And you know what? It's meant to. It's, it's kind of meant to. I, like, like, I believe that this verse, this, this text is meant to cause us to pause right now, right here, this morning, in this room, to consider, to question, and to examine what it is we're standing on. That's what this verse is doing. It causes us to examine what it is we're really standing on, to question what it is that we're storing up in our case files for our day in court. Because the reality of the church is one of a wheat field with weeds in it. Which is one of the reasons the day, capital D, will be a great and a terrible one. The challenge for so many of us, though, is we've, we've heard and we know very well the gospel of justification by faith, not works, but we still like tend to hold on to the notion that on some level, God is going to accept us based upon how we perform, how we clean up, how we put out, how we contribute. And it's literally a dead end. There will be surprises because of this. Surprises. Right. Number two, those whom Jesus will send away are those who will depend on what they've done, not what he's done. And finally, number three, at the end of the day, all that really matters is if Jesus knows you. All that really matters is if Jesus knows you. 23, I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. Like a, we like to think and we like to talk and we like to preach which is fine, like it's natural from the vantage point of us to him, right? Um, so us being obedient to him, us living for him, us serving him, us coming to him, us knowing him, but what actually matters is if he knows us. That's what matters. So what does Jesus mean here when he, when he says, I never knew you, like, like depart from me, uh, never knew them how, 
right? Like I, I thought he was all-knowing. I thought that was one of his attributes. Well, it is, so he obviously doesn't mean that, all right? So how does he mean it? Well, the, the word that Jesus uses here, it's actually two. It's a strong um, Greek compound word, uh, odepita, okay? Ode, uh, which means no, not even, and peta, which means not at any time, okay? So, so in the context of the subject that Jesus is speaking on here, Jesus is basically saying he never knew them at any time as kingdom citizens. Never knew them at any time as kingdom citizens. Or, if we want to just say it, as his. As his. And I know this is tough stuff. But, but again, like, hopefully we're just pulling rather than pushing. Right? Keep us honest. It's really important for us to know this reality um, because we foul this up. We foul this one up. I want you to notice this. These are not people who once had something that they lost. This is important. Okay? They didn't make Jesus happy at one point and then stop making Jesus happy so they lost their salvation. Mm -mm. It's not what we see here. That's not what's going on. They simply never had it. No, not at any time. Not at any time. He never knew them as disciples, as followers, as co-heirs to the kingdom. And if Jesus doesn't know you as his, you are not. Oh, the emails. And we're okay with that. Like, send them. Like, whatever. Like, you know, grab a card, call me, we'll go get coffee. I don't have the answers to all this stuff. That's why I try to rely on what's there rather than what's in the black and, and not what's in the white. You know what I mean? It's because, like, I, I don't get all this. This is above my pay, my pay grade. But this is, what I, this is what I'm seeing here. Um, there's this verse that we all uh, know and we all love that does not read like this. <laughs> Jesus loves me because I first loved him. Right? That'd be silly, wouldn't it? Right? It, it reads, we love him because he first loved us. We love him because he first loved us. In other words, he knew us as objects of his love, and so it was so. This is the power of God, and this is the right of God. He has this right to be this sovereign over everything that he's made. This is the same God where in the beginning he created the heavens and the earth. How? He spoke, and it was so. He spoke, and it was so. And this is what we have here by this kind of knowing, by this kind of new that we're talking about here. Is if you are in Christ, it's because he knew you as an object of his love. And it was so. This ain't bad news, people. This is, this is good news. This is fantastic. Like, like, like how are you going to argue losing your salvation with that? Like you want to talk about security? God did it. It doesn't get any more secure than that. Like there, there's, no possibil- there's no possibility that you and I can foul this up. And believe me, we would, we would, we would, we would every day if we could. Praise God we can't. Because it's all on him and none on us. This is his deal. And it all comes down to whether he knew us or not. 
whether he knows us that way as objects of his grace and love. Um, we actually see this really well in, in John chapter 1. You don't need to go there. I'll kind of summarize it for you uh, real quick where we have Nathaniel, right? Like, like Jesus is out and he's, um, uh, he's calling his disciples. He's like going out and like kind of tapping them on the shoulder and be like, okay, you, you. Like he's picking his team, right? And um, what we have is um, like Nathaniel sits under that, he's sitting under that tree and him and, him and Philip are there. And Philip actually comes to him and he's like, hey, we found him. And he's like, we found who, right? And, and Philip's like, we found the Messiah. It's Jesus of, of Nazareth. And that, that's, this is where we get that legendary uh, statement that Nathaniel makes, his response is like, nothing, like, can anything good come out of Nazareth? You know what I mean? That's like, you know, Lapine or Prineville to us. Um, and, and um, sorry. We love you guys. Chad's from Prineville. So, um, and he's all right. He's all right. <laughs> right? And so, like, and so what you see in Nathaniel is you see the skepticism. Uh, it's sarcasm, but it's also skepticism. Like, yeah, right. You know, yeah, right. And, um, and, and then, uh, let me read it to you. Here, here's what happens when, when Jesus shows up in front of Nathaniel. Uh, it says, uh, Philip found Nathaniel, said to him, we have found him of whom Moses and the law and the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathaniel says to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? And Philip says to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathaniel coming toward him and said of him, behold, an Israelite indeed, whom there's no deceit. And Nathaniel says to him, listen, listen to this. How do you know me? How do you know me? And Jesus said to him, Before Philip called you, when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. I saw you. Now this doesn't mean, and Nathaniel didn't take it this way, it doesn't mean that Jesus was like creeping on this dude, like from, from the next tree over, like just, you know what I mean? Like Jesus wasn't being weird or creepy. That's not what it means. Nathaniel knows exactly what it means, the way it comes through in the Greek. That means that he, he, he's saying, I, I, I saw you a long time ago. I've known you for a long time. And Nathaniel knew this because what's his response? Mr. Skeptic. Mr. Oh, yeah, right, whatever. Jesus from Nazareth. What's his response? Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of God of Israel. His response is worship because he knows exactly what Jesus is saying. I've known you for a long time and I knew you like this. That's why I tapped you. It was the sovereignty of God that led him to worship. It was Christ's knowing him and him knowing that Christ knew him that led him to worship here. Right? So, um, the irony, I want you to understand, in, in this verse that we're in in Matthew, um, is that on the surface it can seem to create an insecurity um, when in truth it, it actually speaks of security. If you start understanding that the difference is in Christ knowing us. There is full security there, complete security there. So number three at the end of the day. All that matters is if Jesus knows us. Gosh, dude, I'm way over. Um, <clears throat> but we're going to close. So, and then, of course, he finishes off uh, this, this text by calling these guys workers of lawlessness, which simply means like doers or performers of iniquity or, or sin. Why? 
Like, they seem like pretty good dudes. They were trying to do, like, good things in Jesus' name. Like, like what, why are they, wor- like, workers of iniquity and sin? Because they did not believe in the Son for righteousness. They're still in their sin. They're still in their sin. This is anybody outside of the righteousness of Christ. We're still in our sin. That's how we're seen. Okay? The same way. So, so do you guys want to take a test real quick? We'll close with a test. Um, I stink at tests. Um, I've always failed tests. Um, but we're going to take one. Because I feel like if, you're, if we're going to have a heavy text like this and we're going to talk about some of the heavy things, uh, we can't just like pray and dismiss you. Uh, I, I, f- I really feel like we all need to see what we're standing on. We all need to walk out of here with some confidence of what it is that we're standing on. That we may know where we're at and if we're known by him. Okay? So three things here. Um, <clears throat> Uh, the way I worded it is, is, is these are three things to, that, that help me know that, I, that, that he's not talking about me. <laughs> okay? So, so this is the test. Uh, three things to help us know that he's not talking about us. Okay? Uh, number one, because I love God. Like, I know he's not talking about me here because I love God. And I know that sounds vague and it sounds general, but... Like, like, the question is, like, do you believe in God because you want to be well taken care of on earth? Like, because you want good things to come your way? Is God just a sugar daddy to you? Or, or like, like, like you, because you're, like, scared of hell, which is actually kind of fair, really, biblically speaking. Like, that's not a bad motive. But, like, like is it purely for some, like, earthly self-preservation or gain that you've got this thing going with God? Or is it because you love him? I mean, we've all got these people in our lives or had these people in our lives or whatever that, that we love something they do for us um, without actually loving them. Like, like they're important to us in our life because of something that they can give us or get us or, or do for us, but we really don't. I mean, the perfect example of this is the prodigal, right? Like, 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 like homie didn't want like a relationship with his dad. He just wanted his dad's stuff. Like, just give me your stuff so I can, like, get on with what I want, right? And, and, and we, can, we, can, we can be this way with God. Many people are this way with God, right? The key characteristic for the child of God is a love for their father, as well as a love for that which the father loves. And the father loves the son, The Father loves the Son. And because this is true, the Father has made Jesus the door. Like, he's the access point. Oh, we need to know this. There's this guy, um, I shouldn't talk about this real quick. God would so have it that the pastors one night ran into these two guys that were completely out of place, doesn't matter, um, ended up opening up a conversation where these guys ended up coming to where we were. We talked for four hours that night. This dude's a devout Muslim, one of them. The other one's just along for the ride. He's unaffiliated, so he's like still figuring this stuff out. But the one dude is a devout Muslim who travels all over the world. He speaks like all the original languages. Like half the time he would just sit there and write. It's like, dude, dude, like, you know what the Bible says about not having an interpreter? Like, don't speak in that. Like, you got to tell us what's going on. This dude is sharp. And, he is, and, he, and here's the weirdest part. He was Protestant. He was a Christian that has now converted to Islam. Pray for him. You don't need to know his name. 
Anyway, we formed a great relationship with this guy. We love this guy. It's nothing like what I thought it would be to have a relationship with a devout Muslim. I thought that they had a turban and then like some kind of automatic rifle and you know what I mean? And it just doesn't. He's just like you or I. He's extremely likable. Anyway, he came over a few days ago and we get into this question right here. Do always lead up. Does it only matter as long as we all believe in God, no matter what we call him or how we get there? Of what significance is the sun? Because this is what it comes down to with Christianity and anything else that exists out there, people. What you do with Jesus. Because God loves the sun. And if, if God knows you, you will come through that door. That is the door you will enter through, and this dude doesn't want anything to do with that door. He thinks it's insignificant and doesn't matter. Typical. We hate exclusivity, don't we? We hate messages of this is the only way. Oh, that sounds so narrow and stupid. And Is it? Like, like if, that, if that's our actually hope, if, if that's our actual cure to our sin problem, like is that a problem that there's only one way? Oh, that's good news. I call that good news. Amen. Jesus is the way. Right? If we love God, we will love Jesus. And we will have no problem coming to him because of that. We will run to him. And we will fall on him. And we will throw our arms around that cross. 1 Corinthians 8.3, if anyone loves God, he is known by God. You can make it sound like, like the carts before the horse on us loving him, meaning that he then knows us. No, it's, it's actually saying the opposite. If you love him, it's because he knows you. It's because he knows you. This is, this, is, this is why we're disciples, children of God, kingdom citizens. So number one, I can know Jesus isn't talking about me here because I love God. I actually love God. I don't know why. I'm not that smart. I'm not that sharp. I'm not even good at love. You know, there's days where, where, where it's, it's hazy and it's foggy and it's weak and it's cheap. But at the end of the day, man, I love him. And I don't know where that came from but it exists in me. Number two, I know Jesus ain't talking about me because my hope lies in Jesus and not me. Like that, that's something we gotta know. Right? My, my hope lies in Jesus and not me. My righteousness lies in Christ, not me. Because my performance is, is, is hidden in Christ's performance, not mine. I love the song, All I Have is Christ. It's the best song in the world right now. All I have is Christ. At the end of the day, I know that, people, and I believe it, and I depend on it. I depend on him for everything. All I have is Christ. So ask yourself, where does my hope lie? Ask yourself, where does my hope lie? What am I banking on, right? Is it in you on any level or in him on every level, plus nothing? I'm sorry if I'm hitting you with spit, Terry. I don't mean it. When you appear in court on that day, that your court date comes up, right, what's your defense going to be? What is your defense going to be? You saw what theirs is. Didn't work. What's your defense going to be? Will your case files be filled with I, 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 or him, 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 right? That's what matters. Will your argument be all the stuff that you did for God or all the stuff that God did for you in the person and work of Jesus Christ, right? 
When asked why you should be led into the kingdom, one word will suffice. Jesus, the man on the middle cross, said I could be here. Jesus, so number two, I, I, I know Jesus isn't talking about me here because my hope lies fully in him and not in me. His works, not mine, right? And I know that by faith, and that is our due that's being talked about here, okay? Number three, finally, I know that Jesus isn't talking about me because the thought of God not being in my life leads me to despair. It leads me to despair, Right? And I'm, not, and I'm not talking about like these guys, because you could go, well, what's the difference between? Well, because they waited until their court date came up. Like right now, not seeing God, I despair at the thought of not having him. Now, today, right here, I despair. When I am pressed in life, or I wander, or I fail, or I get discouraged, I despair at the thought of not having God. Do you? So, so here's the question. When life and circumstance and people and self hands you a turd, like where do you go? Where do you go? Do you walk from him or do you walk towards him? When, when you can't find any good works or any good thoughts or any good intentions or any good desires coming out of you, where do you go? Do you run from him or to him? Does the thought of walking away from God cause you to despair? Is it not even an option in your mind or your heart? And you've got to ask yourself, if it's there, why is that there? Why, why is that there? Where does that come from? If that's there, it's not there because you're good at knowing him. It's there because he's good at knowing you. That's why it's there. This is classic Peter. Love it. Christ has come out of the closet like he's telling everyone he's, he's, he's the Messiah. He's, he's preaching uh, fully. He's talking things that are, that are difficult to people. And he's almost at this point like undoing all the growth that he's getting. Like all the followers that are coming, like he's just, they're just unfollowing him after the next time he opens his mouth and teaches something. And we, we have this section there where he's talking about what they perceive as cannibalism, right? Unless you drink my blood and eat my flesh, you can have no part of me. And nobody understood this. It just blew their mind. And they're like, whatever, dude, we're out. And they walk away. He just, the whole church gone in one, in one teaching, right? And he looks over and his disciples are standing there. And he goes, you guys going to go too? What does Peter say? One of the smartest things Peter ever said. He didn't say many of these things. He got this one right. <laughs> Lord, where else can we go? You alone have, you alone have the words of life. This is what we're talking about, people. Do you know that? Do you know that Christ alone, is that true for you, deep down inside? In all honesty, Christ alone has the words of life. There is nowhere else to go. There is no one else coming. There is nothing better. There is nothing more that we need. Jesus is it. And I'm all in because I believe it. Every bit, I believe it. Jesus assures us in John chapter 6, all who the Father gives me will come to me. So like not if they decide to or, you know, if they're smart enough to figure it out. Like it's certain they're going to come. Notice who's doing the giving, the Father, and then listen to the rest of it. Whoever comes to me, I will never cast out. 
I will never cast out. Security. Security in that. Um, if anyone failed this test, repent. Repent. Repent is not a bad word. I always thought it was. I thought it was a horrible word. Uh, almost like a cuss word. Uh, it just seemed, seemed negative. Uh, repent is a good word. It means turn. What it means is that we, what, it means that we can turn. It means that, that you're, you're not just left with what you got right now. There's a way out. And so I would invite you to repent. Right? I would invite you to turn yourself in right now. Because he is going to come get you. That day is going to come. You don't want to wait till that day comes to make your argument, your final case. It ain't going to go well. But if you turn yourself in, it's going to go really well. You get full benefits, full rewards, full blessing for turning yourself in. And that's all repentance is. Stop going away from God and go towards him. Walk through the door of his son, Jesus Christ. That is the access point. And if you do, he will in no wise cast you out. Hard text, guys. And I love you. The pastors here love you. That's kind of why we preach through the Bible, even stuff like this, which we would otherwise uh, skip over. Um, like this is stuff that we need. If you need prayer, if you have questions, grab one of us afterwards. Right up here, we're available. We would love to talk to you. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the clarity of your word. Thank you for the, how direct you speak so that we may know exactly what it is that you want us to know. Thank you, God, for gifting me with the grace and a faith that leads to being covered in a righteousness that is foreign to me, that is not mine but is yours. Thank you for clothing me in perfection. Help us to know and rest in and, and worship today out of, out, of, out of knowing that there's nothing, nothing that we can do to add to that which is already perfect, which is what you've made us. I pray that you would move, God, on the hearts and the minds of anybody in here right now who happens to be a weed. I pray that you would supernaturally wake them from the dead and from their sleep, that they may see you and know that everything they heard today is true, is true, and they would dispel the lies that they have been living in all their life. And so we ask you to intervene. We ask you to blow through this room on whomever you will, on whomever you know. And we thank you that we cannot lose that which we have. I thank you, Lord, that I am locked up and I am secure, precious in your sight and to you for all eternity. I don't get it, but I thank you. I thank you for that, that you see me that way and that you've come to me that way. And I pray that everyone in this room would know that and experience that as well in Jesus' name. Amen.